this show on the road this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know what? It's kind of fitting that today is April Fool's Day. Uh, isn't it, though? Think about it. Think about it. I mean, let it settle in for a minute. Uh, you know, Satan thought he had it all wrapped up, right? You know, Jesus is crucified on the cross, and then, you know, uh, he's put in the tomb, and you can just see Satan and all of his buddies rejoicing in hell. We did it. We destroyed God's plan. We've won. We're victorious. And then the next thing you know, on the third day, boom, the stones rolled back. Jesus raised from the dead, comes up and walks up to Satan, goes, April Fool's. Gotcha. I mean, I think it's fantastic. The biggest prank, the cosmic, uh, you know, joke was on Satan. Amen. Uh, the guy got, he was the first April Fool. He got duped today. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't know if that's where April Fools came from, but I like to think it did. And uh, I'd have to maybe look and see if the first Passover was on, a, uh, you know, Jesus uh, was on a Sunday uh, of April 1st or not. But I'm telling you, it's fantastic, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Woo! It's a good day. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, I have people say to me, you know, what's Easter? You know, what really? I was at the checkout yesterday at Bun Master. Is that, is that the bread place up there? And the, the girl behind the cash register was saying happy Easter to people. I go, woo, that's cool. Uh, you know, and uh, people are saying it back. But my guess is that most people would not realize that it's about more than Easter eggs and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff and chocolate, although chocolate is a good thing. All right, chocolate is a good thing. I'm not dissing chocolate here. I want you to know that I love chocolate, okay? I'm just going to be clear with you today. But I, I suspect many people she's saying Happy Easter to, uh, there's probably less understanding of Easter than there is, is even of Christmas. And uh, that, that really on Easter Sunday, we're celebrating victory over death. We're celebrating triumph. This is the ultimate, this is the quintessential holiday for the church right here. Uh, everything that we celebrate hinges on today. It hinges on today. Friday was a great day. Jesus gave his life, his blood was shed, and his blood, as Barry said this morning, is that which we are able to use in the case for our justification of liberty. But if, it, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then his blood was the blood of an ordinary man. But Jesus rose from the dead, so his blood is the greatest efficacy of all time. It supplies every need that we have. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord, because of Resurrection Sunday. Woo! All right, I'm primed today. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Well... I'm going to answer some questions about Easter Sunday this morning, and uh, you know, uh, it seems like just yesterday we were together, but I guess it was the day before yesterday we were together, although Tom thought it was last Sunday. He was telling me, he said, man, that message you preached last week, he, and then he started describing Friday's message, and I said, oh, you mean the one was just two days ago? Yeah, that one right there. He said, that was, that was good stuff, but uh, you know, today is, is indeed a great day, and we're just thankful that the Lord has put us here on the great earth and in this place this morning to celebrate his victory. Amen? Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you about the Jesus' authority over death and his authority to establish the kingdom. And his plan was always a new kingdom. Jesus' plan was a new kingdom. Everybody say new kingdom. New kingdom. That was his plan right from the beginning. Did you know that only six times in the Bible does Jesus speak of salvation? Now, he uses the word saved, is used in there to describe different things in parables and stuff. But the word salvation is only six times in, in all the Gospels. Isn't that something? Only six times. Uh, five times in, in Luke and once in John. Only five times, or six times, I should say, is it there. But he spoke over 120 times, uh, Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Now, let that settle in for a minute. We preach the Gospel, and all of our focus is on salvation, Right? 
is on people getting saved. We talk about saved. We talk about salvation. We talk about the merits of salvation, what salvation's about. It, Jesus only referred to it six times in the Gospels. But the kingdom, 120 times. How do we manage to preach the gospel without the kingdom sneaking in there? How do we manage to talk about what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about without mentioning the kingdom of God? Jesus mentioned it 120 times. How many know that's a lot? We might be onto something here if we start thinking about this, if we start tracking here. Now, Jesus, when he spoke about the kingdom, he spoke directly when he said things like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, all right? But he also spoke figuratively when he said the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would use parables to explain the kingdom of heaven, right? And then he also assured his followers that no kingdom divided against itself would stand. So he talked about the imperative that the kingdom be indivisible, that we be united in this message, in this pursuit of the kingdom. And so you have to understand, Jesus had a lot to say about the kingdom. Now, are you saying it's not important to be saved? That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that we have to understand salvation has purpose. Right? It's not fire insurance. We preach salvation like it's fire insurance. Like we're just helping people avoid hell. Right? That's our mandate. We preach, we preach Jesus, we preach salvation so people can get their fire insurance. And once they got their fire insurance and once they've avoided hell, then it's all done. That was not the message of Jesus. It was not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus was a message of the kingdom of God. And he redeems us by his blood so that we can be participants in the kingdom. Are you hearing me? And we can't miss this. It's, it's throughout the scripture. Just open your Bible and start reading it. I mean, the, read the gospels. Read the language Jesus used. We have religiousized it for so many years and sanitized it of the words that we're uncomfortable with, like words like kingdom, that we get uncomfortable with. So we, we gloss over that and we preach the words that, that we are comfortable with. But Jesus never did that. 120 times he talked about the kingdom. That's a lot. That's a lot. So I think we should maybe focus on that a little bit. If it was important to him, it's important to us, right? How many know if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to you? Amen? So the kingdom of God was important to Jesus, and so it's important to me. He clearly taught that he came to establish the kingdom. That's what Jesus said he came to do. Now, he did that by bringing redemption to his people so that we could become kingdom citizens again, so that we could be restored to all things that we had lost in the garden, so that we could be repositioned for glory. I mean, that's what God was in, at, at work at. But it was always, behind it all, was the kingdom. He wasn't just saving you so you could float in the clouds someday with a harp and eating Philadelphia cream cheese. Right? I mean, some of the images we have of heaven are ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. You know, it's like a Hawaiian luau. You know, uh, that's our, our, our vision of, of heaven. And it has absolutely no scriptural support whatsoever. Because the, the reason we come up with that stuff is because it's easier for us to, to wrap our brain around that than the stuff that Jesus actually said. When we wrap our brain around what he actually said, well, well that's pretty important stuff. And that's what we're going to look a bit at this morning. Uh, turn your Bibles, because I'm looking at this this morning, and this, we're going to have to get a brighter bulb or something, because you're just missing everything that's on my screen up there this morning. There's a really cool map of the world in behind that. 
You're like, yeah, really? Yeah, it is. You can see it on my screen here. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, I thought it was going to look so cool up there this morning, and it's like, what do you see? Blah. You see blah with white on top, blah. There's yellow at the top, blah, and white. I mean, it's, that's pretty disappointing, you know? Blah. There's blah with some white on top. But anyway, it's not supposed to be blah. It's supposed to be a map of the world kind of in what looks like leather or something on, on the screen here. But, and it actually says over here on this side, it says Easter 2018, and you can't even see it. I'm so disappointed. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I have to talk to the Lord about this or something. I don't know. But anyway, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. If you can't see it on the screen, Luke 22 and uh, verses 14 to 30. And that's kind of tiny too. <laughs> yeah, so you're probably going to, that's why you bring a Bible, because you can't always count on being able to read it on the screen, right? Now, see, I can, I, if I didn't have my glasses, I could stand at the back and read that on the screen, no problem. But it's getting inside of three feet that I need these things for. So anyway, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the what? Kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, my new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. By the hand of him who is going to betray me, but I should say the hand of him who is going to betray me, is with mine on the table. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in, this, in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom. Just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's quite the passage. It's quite the mouthful of scripture right there. And uh, I want to turn to another scripture this morning, a little bigger because there's less of it. So this is from John 18, 33 to 37. It says, then Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now there's some couple unusual passages that probably will not be opened and read this morning many places, but I wanted you to understand something today. When Jesus gathered to share the Passover supper with his disciples, he again, he talked about the kingdom of God, but not figuratively this time, but quite directly. Jesus spoke quite directly, and he pointed out uh, to his death, and he declares that he will not join them in food or drink again until the kingdom, which we know happened after his resurrection. He sat down, and he ate fish with them, he drank, he uh, had fellowship with them. We, we, we know that Jesus was referring to something that's going to be post-resurrection here. That until he rose from the dead and conquered the grave, the kingdom of God could not be established fully. Even though many times in his preaching, he said, I've come to establish the kingdom. The kingdom of, of heaven is here. And he was talking about himself. But the fulfillment of it, the beginning of it, could not happen. In fact, I would submit you didn't really fully get kicked into gear until the day of Pentecost. Right? 
when Holy Spirit came and empowered the church to be able to fulfill uh, its mandate. So here he is speaking about the kingdom again, and he shares that the kingdom that he's about to establish was different than the kingdoms of this earth. On earth, he says, those who are great, those who ruled, and those uh, who lived with power were different than in the kingdom of God. And then he says this. He says, in his kingdom, the greatest should be the youngest. That's quite a statement. The greatest should be the youngest. Then he says, the one who rules is the one who serves. For Jesus, he said, was, I am among you, he said, as one who serves. And when we think about Jesus' methodology, Jesus' way of establishing kingdom, Jesus' way of, of establishing what rulership should look like, it's totally different than the way the world vies for power and leadership. In fact, once governments get into power, the only thing they think about is staying there. You ever notice that? It's not about serving the people anymore. It's about finding ways to stay in power. I'm just being honest with you. And that, you know, I'm, I'm being nonpartisan here. It doesn't matter whether you're liberal, conservative, or NDP. Once you get into power, your focus is about staying there. It's not about the people anymore. They make all kinds of promises to the people, keep very few of them, and do everything they can to stay in power. You ever notice that before an election, the governing party makes all kinds of promises that you know they're not going to keep, but they want to, they want to make sure that people re-elect them and put them back into power again, because it's all about the power. Somebody say amen. amen. If you don't know that, then you're delusional. <laughs> oh, what, what are you saying? I'm not saying there aren't good politicians. And I am not saying that the fathers of confederation did not create a system that they felt would best serve us as a people and that we haven't been served well by it. That's not my point. My point is simply that there is an underlying principle that when we get into power, we want to do everything we can to stay there. And that's not the Jesus model. The Jesus model is that I come into power so that I can serve. Those who lead are those who make sure that they put everybody else first. That's the kingdom model. That's the Jesus way. Putting others first is the Jesus way. Am I making any sense to anybody? And that's what Jesus was telling the disciples as he gathered with them on the Passover, and he illustrated it even by getting up and putting a robe around his waist and washing their feet. He who was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, bowed down and humbly served those that came into the room with him. After the Passover meal, Jesus was arrested and he was brought before Pilate for judgment. And then Pilate asks him, you know, uh, what crime he committed. And Jesus simply said that, he, you know, uh, as if he hadn't heard the question, he just says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest, right? But then he says, but now my kingdom is, not, is of another place. But now, everybody say now. now. At that moment, his kingdom was of another place. Now, he says, my kingdom is of another place. However, in a few days, the kingdom of God, which Jesus spoke, was going to be established in this place. Now, he says, he makes a point of saying, now my kingdom's of another place. But in a few days, it's going to be of this place. And it's going to be established uh, and fulfill all of the comments I've been making for the last three years as I've been preaching and walking this earth. The kingdom of God is going to be established. The kingdom of God is going to be established. He then says to Jesus, well, are, are you a king then? And he said, well, yeah, you're, you're right in saying that I'm a king, right? You're right in saying that I'm a king. I am. He doesn't deny it. And... Uh, he doesn't try to walk from it or hide from it. But he understands that Pilate's knowledge of king and his understanding of king are different things. And that's what we need to look at this morning. So if the kingdom of God's going to be established, if it, was, if it was established through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, then what does, how do you establish that kingdom? What's Jesus' method for establishing the kingdom of God? 
How do you establish a kingdom? Well, it's simple. You do it by force. You do it by force. You ever watch any movies about conquering kings and all the rest of it? I mean, in the good old days, they lined up on the battlefield and had their banners waving there, and they run into battle. Lots of people die, and whoever's got the most people standing at the end wins, right? And uh, they knew how to take a kingdom. You did it by force. And history is filled with force being used to establish kingdoms and kingdoms shifting hands. And the history of Europe is just back and forth and back and forth. It's fascinating to read. Even the history of Palestine, of, of Israel, is one of, of seeing how many times that area switched hands back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth. That's how you do it. You do it by force. You do it by force. Now, before you answer too quickly and say, well, Jesus, but Jesus had a different way. Jesus didn't do it by force. I'd submit to you that he did do it by force. He did do it by force. Matthew 11, verse 12 says, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. Force. Jesus himself said that. The violent take it by force. Probably never heard yourselves described that way. Where the violent were taking it by force. Hallelujah. Oh, that's what we're doing. We're doing it forcefully. Praise the Lord. Jesus was saying that that it was going to be taken by force. And, and don't kid yourselves. It's, it's been a bloody affair. Jesus paid the highest penalty with his life. He bled on our behalf. How many know that the crucifixion was violent? And how many know that in the spirit realm, there's been violence waging? I mean, there's been a war going on in the heavenlies. We may not see the manifestation of it, of it in the natural per se, but there's a war going on in the heavenlies. An all-out war on our behalf. Praise the Lord. And we're engaged in that warfare. But here's the thing. Here's the real kicker. Paul understood this really well. And listen to what he said. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, right? But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God... And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul had an incredible revelation of the violence that was going on in the heavenlies. And, and the, the war that we were engaged in for the kingdom of God. And he didn't back down from that warfare. But he helped us understand how that warfare is being fought. How are the violent taking the enemy's territory? How are we doing it? We're doing it with spiritual weaponry. We're doing it with the weapons of warfare that are not carnal. But they are still mighty. They are mighty. Yes, they are. And the weapons that we have through Jesus Christ are incredibly powerful to tear down everything that the enemies put up against us. Every, every imagination. Every imagination. Why is that word imagination in there? Because the stuff that the enemy gets you to fear is greater than the things you actually have to fear. Can I say that again? The things that the enemy tries to get you to fear are actually greater than the things that you actually have to fear. Fear is his greatest weapon. Fear and deceit is the only thing he operates on. They're his fuels. Fear and deceit. And he gets us to fear things. 90% of what you fear or hire never actually happens. Do you know that? You sit there fretting away about it and it doesn't happen. Worry, worry, worry. I mean, ladies, ladies, stop it. It's what wrinkles the forehead. Don't do it. Stop the worrying. Don't worry. Be happy. Come on. That, that's that, that's got to become your mantra. Don't, you don't want those things. 
you know, the reason my wife is still so beautiful and, and just glorious uh, after all these years of being married to me is because she has a revelation in her spirit that she has nothing to fear or worry about. And so she just casts all, the Bible says, cast all your cares, all your worries upon who? Upon him. Yeah, not upon me, upon, upon him because he cares for you. Amen? And then you can look just as great as my wife. Hallelujah. Ladies, come on, isn't that good news? Praise the Lord. Some of you are going, well, I think I look better. Hey, you know, that's okay. You can have your own spirit of delusion. That's fine. But, but we all know, we all know who is, uh, you know, the, the diva of the house. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on. That's not quite how you wanted me to say it, dear, but I, I, I hope I got it, I got it close. <laughs> Boy, am I in trouble after the service this morning. Yep, okay. Yeah, I'm getting wrinkles right now. Uh, under, and, and, and I think Paul understood what, was, what the disciples must have told him took place in the garden, because I don't think Paul was there. But uh, if you remember in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 26, listen to how Jesus spoke to Peter. He said, you know, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will not at once put an army at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You know, you know Jesus was saying that the, the, the heavenlies are equipped for this thing. They're ready for this thing. But the way we're going to win this thing is not the way you think, Peter. Put the sword away. That's not the weapon of warfare we're going to employ here today. Put that thing away. And Paul, when he heard of the stories, must have got that because he was able to say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty. They are mighty. And we win when we use the weapons that God has given us for extending his kingdom. We have incredible weaponry. We have incredible weaponry. We have powerful, powerful weaponry. Praise the Lord. And our weapons work because Jesus gave us the authority. Jesus gave us the authority. Let me just conclude with this this morning. The authority that Jesus gave us is over death. It's over hell. It's over the grave. We have that authority. We have that authority. We have that authority in Jesus Christ. Jesus struck a death blow to death. He struck a, a death blow to the grave. It can't hold us anymore. Do you realize that before Jesus' resurrection from the dead, everybody who was righteous who was looking forward to the Messiah, who had a focus on God, died and was still held in a place the Bible talks about called Hades. They weren't in this tormented side, but they were still held there. They were held by the grip of the grave. And then that's why the Bible says in Ephesians that when Jesus died, he went and he led captivity free, right? Some people like to preach that he, he, you know, he led all the sinners free. No, he, he led those whose hope was in him free, but Old Testament hope. Uh, Jesus even said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. He was looking forward to it. But Abraham still did not experience glory without the resurrection. And so he was held along with all the Old Testament saints in, the, in this captivity until Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, they all came with him and then we get to join him as well now in resurrection glory. It all happens because of resurrection glory. Jesus, therefore, was the first to raise to resurrection glory. And all the Old Testament saints finally got 
what they were looking forward to in Jesus Christ. Theirs was a faith looking forward. Ours is a faith looking back. But the faith is still in one pivotal person. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. And resurrection glory is there for us today. And that is how we have defeated the grave. And the kingdom of God being established on earth is walking in that authority. That every time we lead someone to Christ, every time we help someone in that journey to find Jesus and to receive uh, the application of his blood to their life so they're set free, we have liberated another soul to glory. And another soul has experienced victory over death. Another soul will die and yet not be dead because they'll be with Jesus. Someone say amen. My goodness. Listen to how Paul described this again, pretty tiny, but turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 26. Paul says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Do you get that this morning? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then everything we believe is, is futile. Then we, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Isn't that something? If there's no resurrection power, then we're to be pitied above all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, the deposit, the down payment, the first to uh, rise above of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, Jesus, the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. Then flip ahead to verse 51, 1551, and he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the mortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And what was Paul saying in that second part? He was saying that the resurrection is not just a spiritual resurrection, but that one day we will inhabit a glorified, remade tabernacle, our body. One day it'll be remade too. And uh, that which was perishable, we will put on the imperishable. We'll put on one that, that never wears out. How many are excited about that? No more disease, no more sickness. You can eat at the buffet and not feel full. Hallelujah. You know, you can eat chocolate and not worry about cavities. Oh, praise the Lord. How many are excited about that? I mean, it's going to be good. Whoo, man, it is going to be glorious. It is going to be glorious. You have to get rid of these images in your mind of floating around in heaven with some kind of a, uh, a ethereal, non-existent, corporeal body. It's amazing when you watch science fiction or you watch any of the New Age stuff, they always picture eternity as us being liberated from the body. You ever notice that? It's always some form, some story of, of how we evolve to a higher level of consciousness to where we don't need a body anymore. And poof, we float around. Is this somehow that's better? No. 
Come on. I'm looking forward to the feast at the Lamb's Supper. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't buy into that nonsense. I mean, the resurrection is a resurrection to a new and improved me. Praise the Lord. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, I don't know how that's possible because you're already pretty good. I get that. I understand your struggle with that. But it's true. Look, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, it's only going to get better. You just need to look at that thing looking back at you and saying, one day it's going to be even better. Hallelujah. That's the life that he has for us. We are raising to a resurrection life that is in an actual body. Now, there's lots of debate, one that happens, that maybe we're without a body for a while, and then the body is all together at the, the sound of the trumpet in the last day or whatever. doesn't matter to me. Uh, it's going to be a short time if you are without that resurrection body until you get it. It's going to be a short time. Everybody say short time. It's going to be a short time because eternity is a long time. So it's going to be a short time, right? But throughout eternity, we are going to be actual people walking around in actual bodies who all of the things are obedient to our life. Are you hearing me? And right now, you're supposed to be practicing for that. You're supposed to be living out a life of practicing for the eternal. Practicing to rule and reign, practicing to have your game, practicing to you know, be in that place where everything walks in obedience to you. We're, we're to be practicing right now. You know, that's... That's why Barry buffets his body on a regular basis. He's practicing for glory. Hallelujah. See, Paul's understanding of what the resurrection was accomplishing is outstanding. And nowhere else in Scripture, nowhere else in Scripture do you see the principle of authority over death than you do in, in, in Paul's letters, fantastic, and the understanding of what we're being raised to. Paul had a pretty good grasp of the whole thing, and he lays it out so well for us uh, in Scripture. So let me close with this this morning. <clears throat> Paul understood that when Jesus rose from the dead, that he won and we won. Amen? He struck the blow of love with the weapon of sacrifice on Good Friday. Everybody say, weapon of love. Weapon of love. He did that through sacrifice on Good Friday. Then he confirmed the victory on Sunday by rising from the dead and declaring his divine authority over the devil's weapons of death, the grave, and even hell itself. Weapon of love brought sacrifice. Then he had victory over Satan's weapons of death, hell, grave. Jesus established victory over that as well. It's a kingdom, not of flesh and blood, but of spirit. It's a kingdom, not of flesh and blood, but of spirit. Everybody say of spirit. We are in that kingdom right now. It's a kingdom of spirit. It's a kingdom of spirit. It's a kingdom not of time and space, but eternal. So the kingdom that we're talking about isn't going to end uh, anytime soon. It's an eternal kingdom. And that we are part of an eternal kingdom, praise the Lord. It's a kingdom that is not finite because one day conquered by, being conquered by another, but a kingdom with no end. So it's not one day going to be conquered. It's not like one day Satan's going to get a second shot at it and he's going to win. No, no, no. This, this is for all time. This is not a finite kingdom. This is an infinite kingdom. And this is one that is without end. And we are part of this kingdom. We are part of this kingdom. Now, it's a kingdom of spirit. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take the things of the spirit and we're supposed to make them manifest in this realm. 
That's our job. That's why Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Where? As it is in heaven. That we are to take the things of the Spirit and we are to make them manifest in this realm. We're to manifest his power, his victory, his, his life, his light. That's why I hate it when I hear the gospel preached as, like I said earlier, as fire assurance, as, as something that's just going to prepare us so we can escape. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus didn't save you so that you could escape. He saved you so that you could engage. He redeemed you so that you could get on board, so that you could make a difference, so that you could penetrate the darkness and shift the world for his glory. That's why there's no such thing as, as backbencher believers. There's no such thing as people sitting on the sidelines for Jesus. No. You need to be out changing your world. Why? You need to be out taking in the, from the spirit realm and establishing it here in the natural realm. You need to be extending the borders of his kingdom every day. That's why some theology that we preach is terrible because it keeps people wrapped up in a cocoon of, of self-indulgence until Jesus raptures them away and then they, they are able to spend eternity with him. And in the meantime, they're just holding on until Jesus comes back. I'm not holding on until Jesus comes back. I'm doing everything I can to beat the borders of Satan's kingdom down so that the kingdom of God can be established until Jesus comes back. Amen? We're not taking a, a backseat posture. We're taking an all-in posture, and we are changing and shifting the world for his glory. Anything less is not the gospel because 120 times Jesus talked about his kingdom. 120 times. Only six, salvation. 120 times, the kingdom. Six. <laughs> six versus 120. Do you see a difference? So what are we about? We're about his kingdom. Are we saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are we happy that we're saved? Yeah, sure, of course we are. Absolutely. But I'm not just saved so I can, you know, eat my Philadelphia cream cheese with a harp in eternity someplace, you know, floating on a cloud. I'm saved so I can make a difference in this world right now, so that I can take the weapons of warfare, which are not carnal, but I can use those weapons of warfare, of love and of prayer and of spirit, and I can pull down every stronghold and everything that casts itself up against Jesus Christ, every false imagination, every lie, every fear, and we can bring it obedient to Jesus. Amen? That's the authority we've got in this realm, and we need to walk in it. And the Bible says that the, that the whole world's waiting for us to rise up and walk in it. Somebody, agree with me here this morning. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Because we have been given authority, and it's been demonstrated, proved by Jesus rising from the dead, that we have authority in this world. Yes, it's spirit, but it's spirit that's made manifest in the natural. That's why the Bible says we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's why the Bible says that we can, we can pray for breakthrough and we'll have it. That's why the Bible says that we can anticipate him to provide all things for us. That every need that we have, he shall supply. Why? Because we have authority in this realm for things to come into alignment with the word of God over our life. Are you getting this this morning? And over the next few months, we're going to talk a lot about this as a church. 
We're going to talk about what God has brought to us as the Church of Jesus Christ. What is our inheritance in the saints? It's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to stop living below its potential. Time for you to rise up, square your shoulders, and say, I'm a daughter or I'm a son of God. And as a son or a daughter of God, all authority has been given to me by Jesus. And I will walk in that authority, the same authority that rose Jesus from the dead rests on me, resurrection, life, and power, and I will walk in it, and I will no longer capitulate to the things of the enemy. I will no longer listen to the imaginations and the lies. I will not let them take hold of me anymore. I will instead walk in the power that is mine through Jesus Christ. Everybody say, no longer. Just telling you. You can back the gain down some more. It's still ringing really bad. Maybe the battery's getting low or something. I don't know. Yeah, the battery's just about kaput. Praise the Lord. Hand me that other mic. We are going to be and are victorious. Amen? No weapon formed against you can prosper. Everybody say, no weapon. This is the scripture. If I was making it up, that'd be one thing. But when it's the word of God, we got to kind of listen to it. Say, it's not Kevin, it's the Word of God. So, you know, if I say something, you know, you can take it or leave it. But when Jesus is telling us something, you know, you got to listen. Right? That's what we got to do. Praise the Lord. Well, today is, we're having a baptism. We're supposed to have uh, four candidates. But a, a death in the family had... Uh, a family uh, heading up to uh, North Bay uh, for a funeral, so they're not able to be here today. But we still have one very important young man to be baptized today. <laughs> very important young man who was miraculously healed this morning, came in in a foot cast, and now he's been set free. It's praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, he was walking around with his dad's foot cast that he had when his leg was broken this morning. I said, something happened to you this morning? No. <laughs> just, just trying it out. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. And uh, is Pastor Mark out there? Is, can we have him come in and bring in all the kids? Is he not out there yet? Yeah, get, have him come in now. Yeah, we're going to praise the Lord. Let's, uh, let's just uh, stand together, shift our positions for a second. Father, I just thank you that we have resurrection power and authority through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that, Lord, uh, we have more than just uh, salvation for eternity, but, Father, we have the authority of Jesus Christ, even as we walk in this realm. The authority, Father, to be able to uh, take everything that sets itself up against Jesus Christ and have it pulled down uh, through the power of God today. Father, we thank you that we have this authority. We thank you, Lord, that, that, Father, through the resurrection, we have a guarantee of that authority in our lives today. And, Father, as we have uh, Caleb coming forward today to be baptized, Father, that the testimony of his life is that Jesus has the same authority uh, in his life as rose him from the dead. And that as uh, Caleb uh, goes under the waters of baptism today, and Father, he testifies to everyone here that as we uh, go down, uh, Father, and, and we lay aside the old man, we come up to life in Jesus Christ. And Father, today we thank you, we bless you, we give you praise, we give you glory. 
and we honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, you may be seated. The kids are coming on in here. We don't like the kids to miss out on baptism. Praise the Lord. <laughs> 